The Holy Gospel according to Matthew in the 21st chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the people, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it was amazing in our eyes. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard this parable, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. All right, so we get another really fun parable for today. <laughs> Lots of joy in this one. Um, at Collie Group this week, we were chatting about this text, and I was really feeling at a loss for it. Um, we went around and around different types of interpretations, which one is the closest to what Jesus would intend, what does that even mean for us today? And at the end of quite some time of talking about all of this, someone just says, do you think we overanalyze parables? Um, of course, the answer is yes. Um, if you are a human person like me, perhaps you also overanalyze everything else in life. So why not parables too? Now remember, a parable is a story told by Jesus. One that often is told in order to prove a certain point. And often when we interpret them, we see part of the parable as a representation of what the kingdom of God looks like generally, or what God or Jesus happened to be in the story. Now, the problem, and also the good thing, is that when many different people analyze the same thing, we often find many different interpretations, which, if you happen to be looking for something concise and straightforward, can put you in a bit of a pickle. However, if you happen to be looking for the good news for you at a certain time and place, you normally come across it because that's just kind of how God works. God's word is living and God lives in the text and in the parables, even the ones that seem really hard or difficult. 
So let's center ourselves in the text for today. Last week, Pastor Andrew told us about the difference between authority and power, because the same people that are in this parable were in that one, the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they were questioning Jesus's authority. Pastor Andrew shared with us that authority is generally being the good use of influence over others for the well-being of all. And power becomes a little bit more self-centered. It's a little bit of holding over others our own will and desires. Now, the chief priests and the Pharisees were pretty much concerned about losing their power over the people and thus were questioning Jesus's authority. A very important thing we need to understand about our parable for today that I want to make clear is that this message from Jesus at the time and in the context of this gospel is for those who are in power. It is speaking to the Pharisees and the chief priests and those who are misusing their power over other people. It is not, it's not, a blanket statement over Judaism or Jewish people. It is addressed to those who are the leaders of the people at the time. And contextually, it's important to know that this is very near the time when the chief priests and the Pharisees will give Jesus over to the Roman Empire and the Romans will crucify Jesus. You see, Jesus has just had his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. The crowds have been so excited to see him. They've been waving their palm leaves, shouting, Hosanna. But very soon, the crucifixion will come. It is looming not too far in the distance. So with all of this context in mind, we need to think about how would those who heard this parable have interpreted it? It may seem pretty easy now to connect some of the dots if you're looking at more of an allegorical reading of this parable. Um, the tenants in the vineyard are most likely the leaders, those chief priests and Pharisees. Often we see the landowner as God, the one who is lovingly caring for the vineyard and who wants it to produce good fruit. And then when the sun comes along, our Christian minds light up and say, that is Jesus. Then there's also these other messengers that are here too. Most likely they could be the different prophets that come to Israel. And that's important too because the idea of a prophet is someone who comes to urge the people to change to turn, to change their minds, and to look towards God. Now, another thing in this parable, and I hope you noticed it when you read it, is that there's a lot of absurdity happening. It seems pretty wild, right, that the owner of the vineyard would think that the tenants aren't going to kill his son after they've killed everybody else that he's sent, right? Why would you send your son after all that, we might ask? And it seems even wilder that those tenants think that by killing all the slaves that are sent and the son, that by that they're going to inherit the land, right? Because that often happens. We might even laugh. It's okay. We might laugh a little bit at their foolishness. 
But if we take in mind all the context of the story and what's happening at the day with Jesus kind of stirring up the crowds and lots of people following Jesus, we can see how the chief priests and the Pharisees, whose goal it is to kind of keep the status quo, keep things in line, would think, oh, if we get rid of Jesus, we'll get rid of all our problems. It'll be fine. Things will go back to the way they were. Now, when we hear this, we should feel pity for the Pharisees and the chief priests because they're missing the point in what Jesus is coming to tell them about. And they're missing the point in their role of leadership over the people. And what is even further comical in this parable and absurd is that when Jesus asks the question to the leaders, what do you all think that the landowner is going to do to the tenants? They respond, he's going to put those wretches to a miserable death, death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give them the produce at the harvest time. They know Jesus is talking about them, and yet they're condemning themselves in that turn of phrase. Now, Jesus isn't the one who says that. And while he doesn't completely deny what they say, his response is a little different. He says the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. Now, in being taken away, it kind of reflects how they are forgetting their role and authority in God's kingdom. And by doing so, they are hurting themselves. They're missing out on God's vision for the world, so naturally they're missing out on bearing the good fruit in that kingdom. Now, moving forward in time, I mentioned the whole thing about Judaism. Christians have historically inserted ourselves into this parable. We like to see ourselves as the people who get to inherit the kingdom, bear the good fruit. And then we see the Jewish people as those who have rejected Jesus. But that doesn't take into context who Jesus is actually talking to, the leaders, right, who are misusing their power. So when we think about how do we read this parable in our modern day with ourselves, I'd like to propose that we read it with a little bit more thoughtfulness. And I wonder if we even could possibly see ourselves as the tenants of the land. Now with that, it could be a pitfall and a danger to get caught up in the macro idea that it's all or nothing, right? The same pitfall of thinking Christians are in, Jews are out, you're either in the kingdom or you're outside of the kingdom. You've either got the inheritance or you don't got it. You're either saved or you're not. Now, for me, that doesn't sound like good news. It's very anxiety-producing, actually, because I always have a lot of fear around doing things right, being good, and I don't see Jesus' message or God's love and mercy falling into that category of this all-or-nothing thinking. That's a very human thing, not a very much God thing. We're the ones who are prone to that. And so I wonder instead if we read this parable more as an invitation to realizing that the kingdom of God can be near to us. 
we can indeed be the people producing the good fruits of the kingdom. So let's flesh it out again. First of all, there's that part about the people getting sent time and time again to relay the message to the tenants of the land. To me, this says that God thinks so highly of us that God is willing to send that message time and time again in hope that at some point we will receive the good news, even if we continue to destroy it or don't want to listen to it at the time. And so much so that God sends God's Son in order to, for us to help understand the message, to grasp it in the way that we can. And hopefully for you, when you come to worship, you hear that message of good news, that you are loved, that you are within God's kingdom time and again. To me, it's something that is constant. It's not this one or done kind of situation. Second, the part that seems scary to us with the punishment of the tenants and recognizing that they're not living into the kingdom of God, that can seem a little scary at first. But sometimes we need a little something that's a little jarring to offer us a wake-up call or change. We know that God and Jesus did not come to condemn the world, right? That's not the point. Instead, the point, like the prophets throughout history, is to get us to return to God. Not living in the kingdom, not caring for the vineyard, that means that we're probably suffering. We're probably not doing so well. And those around us might be suffering as a consequence as well. I wonder when you read the Gospels, if you ever think about the chief priests and the Pharisees and wonder, are those people doing very well? Like, are they okay? I don't think so, right? They don't seem like very happy or joyful people. They're just trying to take Jesus down. And recognizing the things that are harming ourselves and others that we are doing, it can be tough to hear, but it can also be freeing in a way. Because then we know it's time. We need to change. We need to turn. And if we just turn towards Jesus's commandments, I think we'll find that our lives might be a little bit better and that maybe the people around us too will have that opportunity for abundant life. And that is simply what the kingdom of God looks like. And the good news for us is that God repeats that over and over again to us. We get that message over and over again because God desires that for us so much. God desired it through the text in the Old Testament. We hear in Isaiah, God desires justice. God expects justice out of the people. And God expects righteousness, right relationships with each other. Jesus' message will continue to invite us into that vision. God will keep extending the invitation. Now, if you happen to be sitting there and wondering, well, what does this look like? What does it look like living into the kingdom of God? I've got a few ideas for you today, and I think, oh yeah, and our hymn of the day has some ideas for you as well. But here's what it could look like. Maybe it's forgiving someone who needs to be forgiven, reaching out to someone who you see as lonely or on the margins. 
Maybe it's looking at your finances if you're in a good place and seeing if you could give a little extra to charity, volunteering your time around town, or dare I say it, as a worship leader in your church. That's a little plug for here. And maybe it's coming to Dr. Katie Deaver's class and learning about God's justice and equality and gender and all of that. Now, maybe if you're in a more place that's a little bit stressed, like this bride-to-be, maybe it's just promising yourself that you're not going to pick any unnecessary fights with anyone you love over the next week. (laughs) Or maybe you just need to start at a place where it's saying kind things to yourself, treating yourself with grace and mercy in the way that God treats all of us. And this, in turn, will bear the good fruit. And we desire to bear the good fruit because we have a God in Christ Jesus who shows us that love and grace. And therefore, the desire to bear the good fruit, as the gospel says, should already be planted within our hearts. And doing that will always bring the kingdom of God close. And that is the goal of a parable. Amen.